We are continuing in our series through the book of Acts. And as you read each chapter, you can never, it's like if you're on a mountain during an avalanche, you can't catch all the snow, right? There's going to be things that we miss. But we're working through it. Um, and we, we talked about some of our favorite trips growing up. Um, when I was a kid, and maybe you share this with me, uh, when I was a kid in the car, anything more than like five or ten minutes, you had to have something to like occupy your brain. So for me, that was like the alphabet game, where you'd look at the road signs and you'd see like Albuquerque. I don't know why that's the first thing that came to mind. Uh, you'd see a word that starts with A, it's like, oh, I got an A. And then you'd see like B, and you'd go all the way through. Or what I would do is I would follow the tree line and pretend a little ninja was like jumping on each branch over the trees, right? And just, he would be doing cool tricks. Um, but you'd notice like every branch of the tree and you'd see like you'd count all the light posts and and the uh, and the lines on the road until you got too dizzy to count them and you try to count the mile markers as you went along you noticed everything like every little detail you saw and then you know when I was 15 I told myself when I turned 16 I would still want to ride my bike whenever it was feasible because, they, because that's what you did. You rode your bike everywhere. And then I turned 16, and that was probably the last time I rode my bike, apart from when I turned to be an adult and got sick of driving. So you turn 16, and then, and then like this newfound freedom, you like hold on to it, and, and you can go anywhere. Like You can have a job. You can just leave whenever you want. Uh, gas at that point was only like $4.30 a gallon. Uh, it, was, it, was, it was great. Um, but, but you start, I mean, you know what drive, I mean, you know where the potholes are in the road. You know the quickest way to get wherever you want to be. Um, and you, you, you know uh, like where the construction routes are at. You know the timing of the, the traffic lights. And then fast forward to today, I'm 27. Uh, and I drive from Granville to Zealand, not so bad, just about every day of the week. And I got to tell you, I get to Zealand and I can't remember a single part of my drive. Like, I can't actively remember a single thing about my drive. Like, and then you worry, like, were you, were you paying attention? Was I paying attention while I was driving? I don't, like, remember any of the cars. I don't remember any of the construction. I don't remember any of the traffic lights. You just, you arrive at your destination, and you realize you had been driving that entire time. Now, the reason I'm saying all this is because when, when you're driving, it's probably okay if you don't remember your drive, but it would be a tragedy if you and I got to the other side of a season of life, got to the other side of a, of a month or even a day without paying attention to what God is doing in our lives. And you might be thinking, like, I don't remember the last time I actively saw God working. Like, he hasn't lifted any mountains and thrown them into the oceans for me. Um, or he hasn't kind of parted the seas of life. Uh, however, it would be a tragedy for us to, to walk through life without paying attention to what God is doing in and through all of us. Um, so that's, that's my encouragement today, really. <clears throat> Last week, we, we asked if it were possible that God was calling some of us out of our routines and into, into unknowns. Uh, this week, my challenge is, what is God doing in your life today? What has God done in your life in the past? And can you imagine what God might be doing as you move forward? We, uh, we were in Acts 21 last week. And uh, Paul, we've been following this guy named Paul. Uh, Paul is heading to Jerusalem, and all of his friends warn him, like, hey, when you get there, you're going to be hurt, so maybe you shouldn't go there. They're, like, warning him about what's coming if he goes to Jerusalem. But Paul, being bound to the Spirit, says, I'm going to go anyway. 
And he does, and he gets to Jerusalem, and the Christian brothers and sisters welcome him warmly and make sure everything is going well. Uh, but when he shows up at the temple, the Jewish population is like, all right, you've gone too far, and they take him. They start beating him up until the Roman authorities come, and uh, they basically the, the, the Jewish people who are beating Paul stop because the cops have shown up, and Paul is brought to the barracks uh, where the, the commander of this huge fortress on, on the Temple Mount, which is where God's people worship. They bring Paul up to there, bind him in chains, which was prophesied earlier on uh, in the book of Acts, and Paul has the wherewithal to say, hey, can I talk to these people? And the last words that we read out of Chapter 21, basically Paul opens his mouth saying, today we explore what he says. We get to dive into that, but before we do that, I want to take like three minutes to make sense of those two poorly drawn lines. So the, the reason I want to do this, I want to back us up just a little bit, give us an overview of, of where God's people are and why things are so crazy in, in the Jewish world. Uh, so we're going to start here. Uh, so th- pretend this is one continuous line, and this represents, right, when things started existing. <laughs> creation. This is creation. Everything is great. Until we turn from God and we fall. Boom, that's bad. And now God's people have been marked by interactions. These little lines will be our interactions, and some of them are bigger with God. God has been doing some things. Uh, and he talks with us through prophets. He talks with us um, through, through his people, uh, through his word, through, through preaching and all these good things. Um, but come to find out the Jewish people, the Jewish people, God's people, the Israelites, have discovered that they are waiting They're waiting for what's called the day of the Lord, judgment day, the last day. So what they thought was going to be, you know, somewhere around the end. I did bring a backup marker just in case that one wasn't working. So they're waiting for this day, uh, the day of the Lord. They're waiting for this day where God would come and make everything right. Now, Uh, before Jesus comes. This hasn't happened yet, and we get to uh, the end of the Old Testament, the book of Malachi, and suddenly God's people have, for the most part, stopped hearing from him. Where they used to be hearing from him through the prophets, they stop hearing from him, and now they're wondering, where is this God who said he was going to set everything right? And so for 400 years, they're waiting. They're waiting for the Messiah. They're waiting for God to come and make things right and set Israel on top of everything. So, uh, this doesn't happen. And we have this 400 years of what seems to be silence. And now we get to the day of Jesus where Christ, the second person of the Trinity, comes down. And you could say that really the, the day of the Lord uh, was when Jesus was tied and resurrected, where he made, he made things right. However, now we are awaiting this time here where Jesus is coming back, and now our lives are marked with God interacting with us through the Holy Spirit in these incredible and sometimes small and seemingly insignificant ways. Now, right here is where we're going to park our story, where God's people are wondering, God, where's the God of the Bible who said he's coming to make all things right? Because right now the Jewish people are, are, just, are just being uh, controlled by Rome. So, If this is going to come, Rome's got to go. 
if this is going to come, uh, the new movement of Christians has got to go out of the worship of God's people. These things have got to go. And so for, for centuries, God's people have been bubbling up. And we get to this point where things are so politically charged. Ten years after the story where we read today, there is a huge revolution and uh, the, the Jews revolt. In fact, the temple is destroyed around 70 AD. Our story picks up around 55 AD. But there's this huge revolution from the Jews to make this happen. If they can turn Israel back to God, the day of the Lord's going to come and God's going to make everything right. But first, Rome has got to go, these new Christians have got to go, and Israel's got to become a worshiping nation again. And that's the environment that we pick up the story in the book of Acts. Uh, Paul turns to the people, turns to his, and just so I don't forget, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put this down now. Um, God, Paul turns to the people after being beaten, uh, after being chained up, he turns to the people and he starts talking. He's got a defense to make because it's either Paul dies or his defense is good enough to keep him alive. And we read about what he has to say in the middle of this politically charged, polarized climate. It's been 2,000 years, and I think we can safely say we might not be to this point, but our culture is pretty politically polarized. That's the context that Paul is talking so we're just gonna we're gonna read through and kind of stop along the way, uh, Acts twenty two. We're gonna stop along the way and then just start applying it to who we are today, because it's not really it's two thousand years, but it's not really that much different. So Paul starts talking to to God's people in Aramaic, which is the the the, the just the, the average everyday language, but in the Hebrew dialect, the dialect of God's people. So let's read along Acts twenty two. Paul says this, brothers and fathers, hear the defense that I now make before you. And when they heard that he was addressing them in the Hebrew dialect language, uh, they became even more quiet. Paul is now controlling this crowd. And Paul said, <clears throat> I am a Jew born in Tarsus in Cilicia, but brought up in this city in, in Jerusalem. He wasn't born here, but he was, he was raised here, right in God's holy city. Educated at the feet of Gamaliel, according to the strict manner of the law of our fathers, being zealous for God, as all of you are to this day. Uh, a quick, uh, quick little excerpt. That, that word zealous, uh, um, before the, the Jews revolted, uh, there was this sect of Jewish people called zealots. These were the people who were like national. Let's rid our nation of any impurities and bring us back to God. And anything else has got to go, whether it's by force or not. So we keep on reading. Verse 4, I persecuted, this is Paul, uh, I persecuted this way to the death, binding and delivering to prison both men and women. As, as the high priest and the whole council of elders can bear me witness from them I received letters to the brothers, and I journeyed toward Damascus to make those also who were there bring them in bonds to Jerusalem to be punished. So Paul's talking to this Jewish population, and no, undoubtedly there's a Christian population here. What Paul is saying, maybe some of the Christians didn't know this. Paul is saying, hey, all of the, pe the people who uh, follow Christ, yeah, I, I used to be the one who would seek you out and kill you. That was me, Paul. Paul is admitting this in front of this entire crowd. This is a pretty big uh, confession. Maybe the last time uh, that, that Paul was here, 
was the case. So verse six, as I was on my way and drew near to Damascus, about noon, a great light from heaven suddenly shone around me. Noon was not a time that you wanted to particularly travel because it was hot. Uh, But I think Luke includes that in this story uh, because noon is the brightest part of the day and there was a light brighter than the lightest part of the day. A great light from heaven suddenly shone around me and I fell to the ground. And I heard a voice saying to me, Saul, Saul, this is before he was renamed to Paul. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And I answered, who are you, Lord? And he said to me, I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting. Now those who were with me saw the light, but didn't understand the voice of the one who was speaking to me. And I said, what should I do? And the Lord said to me, rise and go to Damascus, and there you will be told all that is appointed for you to do. And since I couldn't see because of the brightness of that light, I was led by the hand by those who were with me and came into Damascus. Now, really quick, uh, we're talking about what God is doing in our lives. Some people have really awesome, really awesome, incredible, like uh, life-changing conversion stories, and that's great. Some people were born and raised in the church, and that is incredible. If we were to be able to say, uh, to be able to say, yeah, God has been faithful to me, and I've been a part of a covenant community my whole life, that is beautiful. I mean, that's what I'm sure all the parents in this room want that for their kids, to be able to say, I've been with God my whole life. I've known nothing other than, than, than Jesus. That's, that's beautiful. Sometimes we, we take these really crazy stories, and we elevate those higher than God himself. So we keep reading verse 12. And one Ananias, a devout man according to the law, well spoken of by all the Jews who lived there. Remember, Paul's talking to the Jews in front of him. Um, So he's saying, yeah, one of you guys was with me. He came to me and standing by me, he said to me, brother Saul, receive your sight. And that very hour I received my sight and saw him. Suddenly, Ananias receives a word from the Lord. Remember, according to the Jewish population, God has been pretty silent for quite a long time. Verse 14, and he said, the God of our fathers appointed you to know his will, to see the righteous one and to hear a voice from his mouth. For you will be a witness for him to every one of what you've seen and heard. And now why do you wait? Rise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on his name. Uh, so it's, it's Baptism Sunday today. And uh, Paul was, was not a baby when he was baptized, obviously, because he was walking to Damascus. But one of the things we see in Scripture uh, is that the first thing that a believer does, the first thing that somebody who's welcomed into a covenant community does is they be baptized. Uh, and the, the, the passive, t- they, are, they are baptized. And so we believe that children are part of our covenant community. And that's why we baptize. That's part of the reason why we baptize infants. Because we believe it's God doing something and not necessarily us. But let's keep on going. Verse 17, when I had returned to Jerusalem and was praying in the temple, I fell into a trance and saw him saying to me, make haste and get out of Jerusalem quickly because they will not accept your testimony about me. Now, this is pretty straightforward warning from Jesus to Paul. Like, hey, get out of the city. They're not gonna receive your testimony. You should probably go. And, and Paul, Paul replied, saying, Lord, they themselves know that in one synagogue after another, I imprisoned and beat those who believed in you. 
And when the blood of Stephen, your witness, was being shed, I myself was standing by and approving and watching over the garments of those who killed him. But Paul's saying, it's either, it's either look, uh, Jesus, you're asking me to serve with and to serve and to serve with the very people I killed. I can't do that. Or it's, it's Paul saying, look, I was a Jew just like these people. Uh, and, I, and I actually persecuted those who were following you. I think they're going to listen to me because we're kind of on the same page. And Paul's saying one of those two things in either way. He's got to receive this warning. Paul was, before this, he was literally watching over the clothes of those who killed Stephen. And we read about that earlier on in Acts when Stephen uh, was martyred for the faith. Verse 21. And he said to me, go, for I will send you away far to the Gentiles. Um, At this point, so the crowd listens to Paul up to this point. And he starts saying, look, God's love is for you and for your enemies, for the Gentiles. And it's at that point that the Jewish people who think we can't have anything to do with the Gentiles, those who are outside, because then we can't usher in the day of the Lord. If we start, if we start mingling with the outsiders, we can't usher in the day of the Lord. And it's at this point they flip. They raise their voices. This won't be up there. And they shout, away with such a fellow from the earth. Basically, kill the guy. Away with such a fellow from the earth, for he should not be allowed to live. And as they were shouting and throwing off their cloaks and flinging dust into the air, the commander ordered him to be brought into the barracks, saying that he should be examined by flogging to find out why they were shouting against him like this. Now, uh, I was listening down to, man, I got to stop listening to Trent preaching right before I come up here, because now I want to change everything. But one of the things that that Trent pointed out was that, uh, so Paul is being beaten by this crowd. The cops show up. They stop beating him. The commander takes him into this room, and then they're like, I wonder why these people are so mad at him. We should probably flog him, which is taking a whip with clay pottery and glass shards and whipping it, we should probably beat him to figure out why these people are mad at him. That's a little upside down. However, Paul continues. Paul at this point says, hey, I'm a Roman citizen. You really probably shouldn't be uh, uh, examining, torturing, beating a Roman citizen without a trial first. Uh, And one of the reasons we need to know that, we don't need to know that, but uh, if you were a Roman citizen, you weren't allowed to be detained until you had a trial. You weren't allowed to be beaten until you had a trial. The commander of this fortress could get in huge trouble for doing so to a Roman citizen. But Paul, let's take a look. Paul, surrounded by a multitude of people who want him dead, has to come up with a defense for himself. Now, he could have said, look, I'm Jewish. I'm your brother. I'm with you and for you. You're right. I shouldn't have been following this new uh, Christian movement. I'm sorry. Uh, Let's just move on. And he doesn't. That would have been a great defense. They couldn't have done anything against that. However, he decides, instead of beefing himself up, he decides to share what God has done in his life. Not his accomplishments, not of all the, the church plants that he's planted, uh, not, of, not of the, uh, I mean, he, he mentioned the teacher that he was, he was taught under to connect with this Jewish population, but he doesn't use all of his own accomplishments and achievements and his own journey to say, look, you should trust me, you shouldn't kill me, I am for you, but he says, this is what God has done in my life. He doesn't cite birthrights, he doesn't cite his own social status, but hey, here's what God has done in my life because it's not about what Paul can do. In the same way, it's not about what you can do or what I can do. In a politically charged world, to the point of a revolution in just a few years, 
Instead, instead of saying, look, we should turn against Rome. You shouldn't be against me. Paul decides to say, hey, look, even though I was killing those following Jesus, God reached out to me and showed me his love. I was doing the same thing to Christians as you're doing to me, and God wants to give you, these Jewish people in front of him, one more shot at saying, yes, Lord, I want to be walking with you in my life. Instead of talking about himself, Paul talks about what God has done. My question for us is, what if we did the same? What if, like, more often in our life when someone says, hey, how are you? Oh, oh, oh I'm good. God has been doing blank. Instead of saying, you know, if someone says, how are you? And you say, you know, I'm, I'm doing all right. Things could be better. God's really been challenging me in this or that place. Or when somebody says, hey, how are you doing? Man, I'm honestly not doing great. Uh, it doesn't even feel like God is really listening to me. What if more often, instead of talking about uh, the politics of our world, the, the, the debate that's coming up, or, uh, or the tweets that have been tweeted. Instead of talking about all these things and, and, and building those things up, oh, hello, uh, we start to talk about what God has done, is doing, and will do in our lives. Instead of talking about Donald Trump or Hillary, Hillary Clinton or, or, or even Joe Biden or, or any, any one of these politicians who would be really easy to put down. Instead of talking about those things, why don't we more often as people of God talk about what God is doing in and through our lives? Now, I'm not saying like, hey, Andrew, what are you doing? Are you free next Friday? And holding back tears, I say, I'm free for eternity. That's not what I'm saying. You don't have to say everything like that. But also, I'm, I'm free on Friday. I'm not doing anything. But what if more often than not, because we are God's people, we talk about what God is doing in our lives. So to, just to demonstrate that, I want to share what God has done in my life, what he has done, what he's doing, and what I believe he's calling me to. Uh, God, when I accepted Christ, when he showed himself to me my freshman year of college, he rescued me for eternity, but also from a life that was headed toward misery, self-degradation, and self-deprecation. He rescued me from that. And then currently, right now, I, I really believe God is calling me to get involved in my community. So it's been absolutely incredible. Uh, and like this isn't, I, I think we, we all should, but I've been able to, to help out at the local library that's like two blocks from my house. Uh, and it's, it's been a wonderful experience to get to know people in my community. I think that's what God is doing in my life now. And one of the other things um, that, that I wrestle with being 21 is way back in Jeremiah, where Jeremiah was called. And I'm just going to read, if I can find it. I had it saved. Uh, being 27 years old, I often, you know, I'm not qualified to share this word with you guys. No way. Absolutely not. Jeremiah basically said the same thing. And, and God said to him, this is what I, I feel like God is calling me to now, is telling me now. Um, he, he says, here we go. Uh, so Jeremiah said, ah, Lord God, behold, I don't know how to speak. I'm, I'm only a youth. And he sounds like an old man trying to talk like the youth talk. I'm only a youth. <laughs> but God said to Jeremiah, hey, don't say I am only a youth. One, it's not cool. Uh, and two, uh, for, to all, for to all to whom I send you, you shall go. Whatever I command you, you shall speak. Don't be afraid of them, for I am with you to deliver you, declares the Lord. Understanding that God often doesn't call those who are equipped, but he equips those who are called. That's what I feel like God has been telling me in my life recently. And then I, I, I thoroughly believe he's called uh, us to plant a church in Granville. And so that's a part of me getting involved in the community in Granville. So Ellen and I are going to New York pretty soon to be assessed for church planting. 
Um, so that's where I believe God is calling me to. So my encouragement today, instead of hyping up uh, politically charged just nonsense, can we be a people marked by what God is doing? All these little ticks on the line, we get to share those with our brothers and with our sisters. And notice Paul doesn't say, look, all of you Jewish people who are against me, you suck. He doesn't say that. He says, God loves you. He does it in a way that says God wants to be with you. God is for you. Because we can easily turn our own testimony into a look what God has done for me and he's not doing for you. So that's my challenge for us today. What has God done in your life already? What is God doing currently? And where is God calling you to? Can we be people marked by what God is doing in our lives? It would be a tragedy to get on the other end of a season. It's fine in the car if you don't remember what's been going on, the, the trees, the road signs, but it would be a tragedy to arrive at the end of our life and to realize we haven't been paying attention to the God of the universe who's intimately and personally involved in all of our lives. And that's my challenge for us today. Let's pray. God, you are an active God. Once again, give us this righteous conviction to pay attention to what you're doing in our lives. It's as simple as that. And give us the strength and the courage to share those things with gentleness, with humility, and with love. And let us be, Father, a people marked by your grace, by your mercy, who constantly, instead of pushing away our enemies and pushing away those who, who are different from us, let us be a people marked by your love and your grace, which says to your enemies, I want you, I love you, and I'm for you. So Father, help us to see where you've been working in our lives. Help us to pay attention to what you are already doing. We love you. We cherish you. We worship you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.